Okay. Well, uh, for those of you joining us today, we're in Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans, and we're through most of chapter 3. And today we're going to uh, roll up on verses 21 through 26 as we continue our study into this awesome book that uh, we love to study and love to read and enjoy together. Let me go ahead and open us in a prayer, and then we can start diving in and do a little review and then get into what this passage has to say. Lord, we thank you so much for your wonderful mercy, your kindness, and your grace, your love for your son and your people uh, are beyond us, and we shall not understand it fully. But through your word, you've revealed what you want us to know, and we just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to study this this morning, and that we can grasp as much of the fullness of it as possible, and that that can sink into our own hearts, and we have the will and, and the desire to go out and share with those who haven't heard, and those who need to hear, and those who need to hear it again and again and again, Lord, as you've commissioned us to do. I thank you for this local body, and I thank you for this day, your Lord's day, and we pray in your name. Amen. All right, come in, come in, everyone. We're already getting started here. All right, so into Romans, we've read through 1 through 3 up through verse 20. And um, in everything that we've read, starting in uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 18 and on, we see that um, Paul's just displaying what man is and who man is and how we are all different and how we are all equal in, in several, several ways. But um, it really revealed that man is, is hopeless on his own. Chapters 1 through 3, we have, have shown us that all men are equally incapable of coming to God on their own power. And also that God is the judge and the executioner of this world and the sin within it. And Paul has continued on this path to the church that he doesn't know yet, to the church that he desires greatly to come meet and to minister to and to be ministered to, as uh, he explained in the first part of chapter 1, that he has a great desire to come visit, and he wants them to know that, and he wants these believers to know him, and he wants to know them. Um, and since then, we've just seen how he's explained the sinfulness of man, and that it's, it's important, so extremely important for us to know our standing with God and where we begin with before we come to Christ and before that truth is revealed in our hearts. And Paul leads us up to this wonderful passage right here in verse 21. And today we're in 21 through 26. So let me read that out loud. And if you'll follow along with me, and then we'll go back and look at it verse by verse. By verse. Paul says, but now, so we're going to have to look at that but part. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and 
fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom he displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So here we have a great contrast to what we have heard from Paul so far. Chapters 1 through 3, the contrast starts with this but now. And we need to be thankful for that but now and be very, very glad that that is here and how Paul took his time to get to this point. He didn't jump into it first thing. He didn't jump into it after verse 32 of chapter 1. Um, he, he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept going. And here we see the heart of the gospel. And again, we know and we've learned the gospel is the good news. And we, we have also learned together that good news needs bad news. We don't know that we need a doctor if we don't know that we're sick. Um, the cure for cancer isn't as exciting if you don't have it. But if you do, it's really exciting to hear that there's a cure and there's something that's going to fix it. And when you're convinced that you have that sin in your life and that your standing with God is not in a, in a place that'll get you with Him for eternity, um, you need the good news. And so this but now is the beginning of the good news that Paul's going to share and, and what he is here to do and what he wants to share with the church and Rome. Um, the contrast is great in the difference between showing man's total depravity and what we are completely incapable of doing and in our inability to please God on our own um, and God's own provision of a way to himself. This is, this is where we start and this is where we get um, through this passage. He goes on to say, apart from the law. And apart from the law, the law does not make one righteous, but rather shows all our unworthiness. And Paul's gone over that and explaining um, the benefit of being Jew and what there is with it and uh, what can be bad about that as well in previous chapters and and the law we know shows that we are completely and utterly incapable of coming to God on our own and being right with him um, he is declaring that the righteousness of God is entirely apart uh, from any law and even God's own revealed law God's righteousness is in no way based on human achievement on anything that man can do in his own power. And again, we've, we've seen that through the Old Testament. We've studied that time and time again uh, in classes together here um, in our men's group. I know the women have studied that too. But it's there. It's a tutor. And the scripture tells us that. It teaches us that. Um, righteousness. God's righteousness is perfect in every way. And the standard of his holiness, the law will never bring 
someone to God's standard of righteousness, it only points to our own inability to achieve it by any effort of our own. Um, God's righteousness is completely separated from man's work. And uh, he is holy, and he is wholly different than us. And he is complete, and we are not. And God has manifested this righteousness, manifested in Christ, Christ's perfect life, experiencing every temptation that man has experienced, um, weakness. Uh, he, he got tired. He got thirsty. He needed to rest um, during his life on earth. And his perfect holiness was here on earth in human form, but it was in all his glory uh, displaying that he is the only man capable of achieving the righteousness of God. And that is God's son. We can't do it. They couldn't do it back then. And there's, there's no one that can besides Christ himself. And he came here to do all the things. And it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law spoke about it. We understand what the law um, said in many aspects. We don't understand it as well as the, the Jews did when they studied it and um, made that their, their life in many ways. But we understand that it was there to, to point to our inability to be right with God. But Christ's life, it became when he was born. And it was witnessed from that time on through his death, the righteousness of God in every way and in every aspect. All right, on to verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So for all those, all who believe, Paul here, he's, he's pointing to faith. Faith is the main point of those who believe, and faith in Jesus Christ is the importance of this. Um, and those, those who believe, it's all throughout the Bible, uh, saving faith is what brings people to salvation. And it's different than just an affirmation of truth. It's different than just acknowledging um, and agreeing with what God's Word said and what the Scripture says. Um, it's turning your life over. It's that part that's hard to do and hard to understand even today in some aspects of repenting and turning from ourself, turning from our own desire, turning from the way of the world, which is what continues to lead humankind, everything about it, everything we see today in the news and in the media and on social media, um, even just up and down the streets in daily life. You see it at work and you see it in the neighborhoods and at the grocery stores. Um, we are led by the world and that saving faith changes that. And for those of you who are saved, you know that. You know the feeling. And you know that your desires have changed in some aspects. And we still fight those desires of being led by the world and wanting to do those things. Because sometimes they have some really good ideas. But, um, and sometimes there are things that we should be doing. But that desire to please man, please the world, please ourselves and exalt ourselves is what, what changes in this belief. Um, this is where 
total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. And it is the choice that all are given in our own natural state. We will always reject it. We will always reject that choice um, to submit to Jesus as Lord and as Christ. It is our evil and sin nature and our desire to exalt ourselves that does that. Um, but God is gracious and, and gives us that choice, yet we will choose him without him changing our hearts. And he does that. He does that. And we'll see that here in just a minute. Um, God must be the one who gives someone a new heart and opens their eyes so that they will believe and that they will repent and turn, turn from the world and turn to him. The part of there is no distinction in John 6, 37, John writes, The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So just as everyone apart from Christ is equally sinful and rejected by God, everyone who is in Christ is equally righteous and accepted by God. Now that part of verse 22 leads right into um, some of our, our favorite verses to share with unbelievers. Um, verse 23, I know I've quoted this many, many, many times. Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now who here has used that in a conversation with uh, someone you don't know or maybe someone you do know but you assume they're unsaved and unrepentant? quite a few times. I have too. Um, without reading and diving into this, this and the entirety of this passage, um, there, there is a, a part that maybe I realize, you know, I'm using a little bit out of context. It might not be bad how we use it, explaining that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but um, Paul's saying it here as an answer, as, a, as explaining why, why there is no distinction um, in who, who the Lord chooses to allow to believe, to who he brings to him, because we're all equally sinful in our own ways and in our own lives. When we were born with the sinful nature, and uh, since that time, that uh, we've began sinning as young children. We've accumulated that sin up again and again and again, more than we can ever, ever, ever possibly think of making up. But Paul's using it here in a couple ways and showing that there is no distinction because everyone falls short and everyone has led a path that brings us, pulls us away from God and we can't be near Him um, in our own natural sense of that. Paul also is using it, in case you forgot already, we had, he had hammered us over the head for three chapters on how sinful man is and how apart from God we are in, our, in ourselves. And he begins with this good news in verse 21, and we get to verse 23, and it's almost like, don't forget, don't forget, because it's real easy to forget um, how sinful we are as humans. Uh, but we look back just a couple verses 
and reread in Romans 3, 10 through 18. Uh, and those we went over just last week. And we spent quite a bit of time on that. And Mark did a good job explaining these and what Paul is pointing to here. But it's so important that we remember that. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, for there is none who seeks for God. All have none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the paths of peace, peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So there's not one. And again, we went over that several times last week. But we have to remember, we have to remember that. And that's important as we share the gospel with anyone um, and everyone. That that is a big point. It is a, it's so important that everyone understands that none of us, not one is righteous. Not one can seek for God on their own. Not one is worthy of His love on our own. There's nothing that we can do. So Paul's, again, reminding us, and it's a favorite verse, and I definitely will continue using this. Um, and I'll make sure in my own evangelism um, to go back. If I touch on this at the beginning of a conversation, if I bring it up, studying this more makes me realize I need to go back and finish that and not leave that there without the good news as well. I've explained the good news it just hasn't been through that passage. And it's here, and it's in, it's in Romans 3. And it's such, there's so much beauty to this. Um, as we continue into verse 24, verse 24 is huge, and it's great, and it's awesome, and it's the gospel. And it's right there for us to just explain using God's word in his words to those who have an ear to listen to those who engage in that conversation with us. We don't have to come up with a bunch of words on our own, which some of us like to do, and some of us are really good at it. We can use God's Word and continue to study it deep and pull as much out of it as we can and learn how to verbalize that and vocalize it to our, our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our coworkers. So we're in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Being justified. The justified, uh, I wrote down what Mr. John MacArthur writes, and justification is God's declaration that all the demands of the law are fulfilled on behalf of the believing sinner through the righteousness of Christ. Justification is wholly forensic or legal transaction. It changes the judicial standing of the sinner before God. 
And I like how he explained that. It made sense to me in my mind, changing where we stand in front of God. So in verse 24 here, we're being justified. And why or how? And it's, it's as a gift. In justification, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Christ to the believer's account and then declares the redeemed one fully righteous. And it's a gift. Gift is such a key word here. Gift is an awesome word. And it does us well to sit on that and, and think about that and talk about that for a little bit. So can, can you earn a gift? If you earn it, it is not a gift then, right? If you earn something, you are only receiving the wages in which you earned. So by definition, a gift is something freely given. It is unearned and unmerited by the recipient. And this is so so hard for people to grasp. Uh, and it's what we hold on to and we're so thankful for and so excited about. Um, God's greatest gift is salvation through His Son. And Paul says if righteousness comes through the law, that is through human fulfillment of God's divine standard, then Christ died needlessly. And that's Galatians 20 or 2.21. So this gift, this gift is something that we haven't earned. We can't earn it. So what do we earn in our lifetime? What do our righteous deeds earn us? Someone recall what Isaiah 64, 6 says? Or want to look at it? Yep, yep. Exactly. Tyler said, all of our righteousness is but filthy rags. And we've, most of us have heard that in here, I would, I would assume. But if not, um, that's what our righteousness earns us. That's what it is. That's what it is according to God. It is but filthy rags. Romans 6.23. Does someone have that one? The wages of sin is death. That's right. Um, another key verse I use a lot without maybe covering the full context of it. So we'll get there. You know, Mark and I are working towards it. We'll come back for that one a couple, couple Sundays from now. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. The wages of sin are death. So our righteousness is worth nothing on our own. It is but filthy rags. And, and our sin earns us death. Um, Adam sinned. And death came into the world, and now we stand and we die um, eternally. And there's a lifetime uh, longer, that, I mean, there's forever of that eternal being that we, uh, we will pay the penalty of the sin. So this gift is a gift. Uh, it, it is also a double transfer this gift. It not only did God assign our guilt to his son and transfer from us, transfer it from us to Christ, he also took Christ's righteousness and assigned it to us. 
when we believe. So that now when God looks at us, knowing all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, we will not perish. We won't. Even though what we've done is worth nothing. Can I have someone pull up 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and someone else grab 1 Peter 2, 24. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and 1 Peter 2, 24, and read that out loud for the class when you get to 2 Corinthians. Absolutely. It's another beautiful passage. Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And that is, that is the gift. He took it on for us. He took everything that we deserve as a race from beginning to end for those people we've never met who haven't been here, who won't be here for years and years to come that are still to be born. He took their sin still and it placed it on himself. And who has 1 Peter 2.24? Absolutely. Amen. By his wounds we are healed. Another awesome passage there. We love those. And they go so well with this lesson, and they go so well in Scripture. And again, it's God's Word that leads us and guides our life. Christ not only died for our sins, He lives now so that we may also have life in Him. Now I want to add a word that I didn't put on your sheet there. You can add it right below. Gift, uh, redemption is the word I wanted to add. It's also in verse 21. Redemption is the payment made on your behalf with the blood of Jesus on the cross. We have been bought and paid for. We are no longer ours. We are His. And that change in our heart and our change in our desires and our change in our ability and thought process and how we live life now and what we do versus what we used to do It comes about because we have been bought and He changed our hearts. We're, again, incapable of doing it on our own because of God's gift. And, and it's an awesome gift and it's a wonderful, unimaginable gift that He has given us. And Paul's explaining it right here in verse 24. And it's just, it's just wonderful to read it. We are made right in God's sight. By His work alone, nothing that we've done, because of His grace, through the payment which is in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 25, whom God displayed public, publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. 
So why why was the crucifixion public? Why did why did God decide to crucify Jesus in public versus somewhere else? Why didn't he do it in a temple behind closed doors? Or in a dark tomb somewhere? Absolutely. Because there's no distinction. And you brought up you brought up behind the veil and what happened to the veil when he died? Yeah. It was ripped. It's ripped apart. And it's just awesome. It should give you goosebumps knowing that this gift of God is is completely and utterly from him and there's nothing that we've done for it and nothing we can do about it except believe and have faith that what his word says is true and that he did this. He did it as a demonstration, just just like y'all explained, that it's for everyone. It's It wasn't only for the Jew. It wasn't only for a certain people group, but it was for all of mankind, the entire race. So it wasn't in the dark. It wasn't in a temple behind closed doors. It was done openly on the hill of Calvary for the world to witness. And can you imagine what that would be like to be there to witness that? How heart-wrenching that would be, not knowing what was coming next because we couldn't understand, because we couldn't understand the words of Jesus that he explained to his uh, disciples. And yet he came back to do that. It's interesting to think about. So it's displayed publicly as a propitiation. Big word there. We've talked about it before, but we'll go over it again because it's here and it's important and it's something that we don't want to lose sight of. Propitiation means to satisfy the demands of justice. God places sin and evil under his judgment and declares that he is going to pour out his wrath upon it. It just has to be a holy, righteous God who is perfect, sinless in every way. He declares that he will pour out his wrath upon sin. Man, in our stance, we are utterly incapable of satisfying God's justice except by spending eternity in hell away from him. It says, in his blood. And blood being the key factor here, 
blood of the, the perfect sacrifice is the demand God requires to remove sin. And in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, what would the priests do? Yeah. Yeah. And what was the, the big one? Once a year, they would go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Y'all know that's right. They would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and they'd have to sprinkle blood of a spotless lamb on the mercy seat as a symbol of the payment for sins and the sin of the people. This was a foreshadowing of what Christ was coming to do. This is what Christ did for us, fully, holy, to where it is finished, and we don't have to ever do that again. Thank God. That would be very messy, and it wouldn't last. Minus the messy part, it wouldn't last. And it didn't earn you anything doing that. It didn't earn the Jews that. It was placing their faith that God would do what he said he would do in that system. But that propitiation of Christ's blood is what pays for that demand. It pays God's demand. It satisfies His justice. So His wrath was put upon His Son. That's part of the demonstration. To demonstrate His righteousness. Which two? Which two? The law does not make one righteous, but rather shows all our unworthiness. Anything else you need? Anyone miss any of the other fill-ins? All right. Where are we at here? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And that's why it's it's a symbol of that to come. And they didn't have that sight, but they were told to do it. And they were told to obey. And they were told to have faith that God would be righteous in that way. And yeah, it's a, it's a symbol of that. And it shows um, what was to come. And now we can look back and, and see what did happen and what that why that was there and why God had that in place. Let's look at um, Colossians 2. If you want to turn with me to that real quick. Colossians 2, verses 11.
All right, Colossians 2, 11 through 14. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us, decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it, having nailed it to the cross. God did this again as a gift. And the word is here to show us what he's done and how he's done it and how the working's all his. It's not ours. And it's through faith. And Paul's always consistently talking about faith and not works in all of his letters. And it's such an important factor that we must, we must remember the good works we do now, are they ours? As believers, the good works, are they our righteousness? Whose are they? Who? Christ in us, yeah. So who gets the glory for that? He does. And we need to be thankful for that and remember that and give him the glory. And, and in prayer, we can be thankful for that. And in conversations with people, we can remind them of that. And as believers, we get it. And if you say that to an unbeliever, they're going to think you're weird. But that's okay. We want to be weird to them. <laughs> uh, we want to get their attention. We want them to ask questions on why we would say something like that, why we would... Um, be different than the world is in that. So through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness. Again, God's righteousness is completely separate from man's works, completely different. It's of his working and not anything of our own. It's of his. But again, to demonstrate that as we're looking through these passages, he goes on to say, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Oh, where's my sheet there? Because God is completely just, no sin will ever go unpunished. Right? It can't be. It can't, let, it can't be let go. Yet because of his grace, no sin can be unforgiven. Therefore, every sin will be paid for by the sinner himself in the form of eternal death and punishment in hell. That has to happen for a just God. The only option out of that is or it will be paid for for him because he has placed his faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It will be paid for. And it either has been paid for or it will be paid for. And again, that's the message 
we are commissioned to share it with everyone. And we have to do it using His Word and using truth and in God's righteousness and having faith that we might not say it quite right and we might not have the right words at the right time, but He does. And whatever He's going to use us for in His works, it'll, it'll come out. If we allow ourselves to speak to someone, if we allow ourselves to share, if we allow ourselves to not be scared of bringing up that conversation with anyone in particular, and I have those fears of myself. I have them with certain family members that it's just, it gets harder and harder and harder to speak to and to share with. And it almost seems like they get more hostile the more you bring it up. Yeah, I, I love my family members, and you love your family members, and we're supposed to love our neighbors, and some we probably love, and some we probably don't. <laughs> and coworkers, the same goes with that. I have a lot of coworkers, and some of you might be in that same boat, but yes, sir. The ones catty corner are pretty rough and rowdy, so. <laughs> it's not my love for my neighbors, and it's not my love for my coworkers. Um, you know, I do love my family, and I do have a heart for them, and they all know what I'm talking about, that that's there. It's, it's built into us, but other people that might annoy us or disturb us or do things differently or have very loud ATVs that they like to rev up on their street. You know, that happens here in Utah a lot that, that are very annoying. That love isn't quite there. Yet we're called to love our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and anyone else that we come in contact with. And it's not my love, it's Christ's love for them that I'm compelled to have a heart for them. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have a heart for those people. We would, we would want to shut them out and close our doors and make sure the sign says, you're not welcome, and stuff like that, right? We would just want to keep to ourselves and, and make sure we were doing what we wanted to do without letting the outside world in. But God is demonstrating his righteousness through all of this and placing our sins on Jesus Christ. And that's, that's where we get this demonstration from. That's where we get who, who's going to take that punishment. Is it going to be you or is it going to be Jesus who's already paid for it? And that's the message that we're called to share. And in his forbearance, is his loving patience for us and for others, it's not destroying us utterly in our current state with all the wrath every man on earth has earned. He can do that. This is his creation. We are his fully. And he can do that at any time. And we're but, we're but worms. We have no saying on what we can and can't do with that. We read in Romans 2.4, just back one chapter where Paul was asking, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? 
his forbearance is just dealing with and allowing the world to go on and allowing our lives to go on, allowing this nation to go on. And Romans covered all of it already through chapter 1 that he will let those be given over to their depraved minds and them and their bodies and their desires and what they want. But he still has patience, he has forbearance, and that's his kindness. He's giving everyone time to repent. He has made himself known in every which way through creation. And we know Paul already went over those who have been raised in the word and know the truth and what their punishment will be in disobedience and those who weren't raised with the word or the truth and how they will be held accountable for their sins as well. And several of you weren't in here for the class for that. But his law is written on everyone's heart and our conscience leads us um, to either defend ourselves or leaves us to um, knowing that we've done something wrong or that what we could do would be wrong. And God has written his law in our hearts and that holds that person accountable as well. But his forbearance here is what Paul's referring to again as he did back then, is he has patience because he loves, he loves everyone. He loves his people. He is giving everyone time to come to them. Second Peter 3.9. I think, Tyler, you brought that up with me the other day, but that, that was talking about um, people count his timeliness as, as slowness as it's not happened yet, as this is taking too long. But God's being patient with everyone, and he's giving everyone time to repent, everyone time to hear the truth, and he's giving us time to share. We need to use that time wisely and not be led by fear because we are no longer controlled by fear. And it, it tries to take grasp of our heart and keep us from sharing, but it is not our Lord. We are here to share. We're here to share with our friends. And every situation is different. And there's certain ways where you got to go knock someone over the head, and then there's other ways where you need to talk to them for a long time and have that patience that God has with us in the conversations that we have with those folks. Okay, we're on to verse 26. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and the justifier, the cross demonstrates forever that God is both supremely just and supremely gracious. Of the one who has faith in Jesus, from the beginning, God demonstrated his eternal power and divine nature for all men to see. Again, we went over that, Romans 1.20. And through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Christ, God gave mankind the ultimate demonstration of himself. That is why the God of perfect holiness can be both just to the one who refuses God's gift, right? Those who refuse, those who hear and reject 
God will hold accountable and his justice will be upheld. Whether they pass today or in a week or in a month, 30 years from now, they continue refusing God's gift. He will be just with them. But he's also the justifier of of you and I, of every believer that does put their faith in Christ and his work. We are sinful and we are unworthy completely, utterly, on our own. And he justifies us through his son, through Jesus. And our faith just must be placed in that. And that's the gift. And that's the realization of what we do is not ever accounted for us in regards to salvation. The gift is freely given. It's already taken care of. And it's there for everyone. And it's there for us to share that truth with everyone. And the good works that we will do afterwards, after we are saved, they are Christ's righteousness. It's Him doing the good works. He prepared them already. He knew beforehand where He was going to place Mike and Beth in their neighborhood and the neighbors that He's talked to and the friendships that He's made. And that that was planned out before He ever got here. And He's done the same for me. And He's done the same for you. And every good thing that we do We've got to remember not to take the glory for that. That is not ours. We can be happy we did it. We can be thankful in Christ. Yet He is the one who's placed that before us, designed that for us to do, and we just obeyed. But none of that leads to salvation. And that's that's the glorious news we must share with everyone, including this state, and where we currently live, and our, and our neighbors, and our friends, again, and our coworkers, and that list goes on and on and on. A lot of family members, a lot of family members in here have a different belief in how salvation works. And where is that going to lead them? That's going to lead them to God's justice. And He will not be the justifier of those folks. And we're here to share with them the truth. And he will be the one to do that. And he will be the one to change their hearts. And it's nothing that we can do. But it's, it's such beautiful news compared to what we have heard and learned and where we stand with God. In chapters 1 through 3, we are not in a standing that will get us anywhere that we want to be until we realize what the gift is. So these passages are, are ones I would suggest. Continue studying on your own. Make sure you understand the depth of sinfulness. And for most of the folks in here that I've, I've known and we've got to know each other and spent time together, I feel like everyone has a pretty good grasp of that. But how do we explain that to others? And that's the hard part. And explaining that to others, we only get good at it once we understand the word better and what has been given to us. And Paul, he's here doing this for this this church, writing to the church that he doesn't know yet, that he hasn't met yet, that he desires so greatly to see. 
But he spent a long time making sure that he laid that out piece by piece, putting together a puzzle. We're not even close to finished yet. This is chapter three. We've got a long ways to go, but he's getting to some good parts. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Agreed. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what matters. If if you don't agree with this, then there's an issue um, it, that needs to be uh, fixed and needs to be dealt with and talked through um, so that the understanding is there. This is where so much of our, our doctrine and our theology and everything that we believe in falls on. This passage is, is something that we need to know better than I knew before I was planning to teach this class. Much need to know it much, much better than that. And that's where I sat um, you know, two to three weeks ago and not having studied this the way I should have. And now, now I know. And I know that it's like that with so many passages in the Bible. But that's why we're here and that's why we come together. We come to learn. We come to hear the Word. And we're, we're supposed to be a body that helps each other learn through that stuff together and not on our own um, so much as, as together. So this is so important. It is the heart of the gospel. It is what we want to share with others. You can't forget what was before it. And there's so much after it that we'll get to as well. But this is extremely, extremely important. And it's God's work and it's his gift. And if we know this, we know the gospel. And if we know this, we can share with others. But again, they don't know they need a doctor unless they know they're sick. And that's where 1 through 3, chapter 3 comes into play. Um, And of course, there's more than that. But um, Romans is, is so awesome and so deep. Okay, anyone have any follow-up questions, concerns? Yes, sir. Welcome back, by the way. I missed you. Good to see you, Steve. Matthew 19, 16 and 17. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's next week. Come back. <laughs> yes, sir. Next verse. Mark's ready. Here we go. Yep. There's no reason to boast. Absolutely. And you hit that one on the head. Thanks for paying attention. That's exactly where we're going next. You haven't skipped a beat, Steve. You haven't skipped a beat. Good job. <laughs> Anyone else? Any other feedback? Awesome. Well, I'm very honored to have been able to teach this and go over it with you um, as a part of this body. Thank you, Mark, for setting it up that way. I owe you lunch. He went over all the hard passages the last three weeks in a row. So um, this one was fun. and, And what a blessing to share.
And I pray that you will share it with others too. Okay, if we don't have any other comments, then we will close in prayer and have some fellowship together before our service starts. Lord, our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Christ who put everything on that cross and took all, all of our sin and paid for it. Paid for every single one that has been committed, that is being committed, that will be committed, and you paid for it and has made us right according in your sight through our faith in that, Lord. And I pray that we accept that and we embrace that and we share that with others, that we can share the good news of your gospel using your word in all of its glory, in all of its truth. We thank you for today. We ask you to bless the rest of our services and our time together, Lord. May we fellowship and enjoy this day in celebration of you and your church. In Jesus' name, amen.